Hi, I'm Global Health Economist. Today is May 28th, Saturday, 2021. My name is Yuri Nam. I'm a common college and pre-med student pursuing major of life science and biotechnology. My podcast aims to educate people of urgent humanitarian crisis and recent scientific development to increase awareness in global injustice and improve quality of human health. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we will discuss great humanitarian crisis in Ethiopia, followed by background, what, when, outcomes, why, stories from civilians who reported rampant atrocities in Tigray region, and international responses. Secondly, I will discuss recent climate change achievements. The court in Netherlands ruled Royal Dutch Shell must reduce climate emissions, ruling in favor of friends and earth, and over 17,000 co-planets on this Wednesday. U.S. oil giants ExxonMobil and Sherbin are met by huge changes in their compositions as a result of protests by shareholders. Finally, closing with key findings of global gender gap by World Economic Forum and impact of COVID-19 pandemic on economic gender gaps. The links to the facts and stories are in descriptions below. First, let's discuss about great humanitarian crisis in Ethiopia. What is happening? Well, the political conflict between government of Ethiopia and Tigray ruling party, Tigray People Liberation Front, has been causing a rampant humanitarian crisis. The conflict was started on November 4th, 2020, when Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed ordered military offense against regional forces in Tigray, a semi-autonomous federal state in northern Ethiopia. As many as 2 million people in the region have been displaced as a result, and thousands have been killed. Yet the full extent of the catastrophe is unknown because the Ethiopian government has shut down communications and limited access to Tigray. Now, now I'll explain why it has happened. First, what happened was TPLF, Tigray People Liberation Front, became a political dominant political force. In 1970s, when TPLF formed a militia rebellion against Mengsu Hali Maryam, was the Ethiopian president who ruled as a dictator from 1977 to 1991. Eventually, TPLF established itself as the most powerful insurgent groups in the country, leading the alliance that tripled Mexico in 1991. The rebel alliance became the country's ruling coalition, which consists of political parties tied to ethnic groups. While Tigrayans account for just 6 to 7% of Ethiopian population of 118 million people, they became dominant political force in the country. Secondly, repressive ruling by TPLF-led government. TPLF-led government was repressive, targeting political opponents, limiting free speech, and employing torture. Protests against government erupted in 2015, eventually leading to resignation of Prime Minister Heli Miriam Desilin and Abiy replaced him in 2018. Third, replacement Abiy Ahmed and his accomplishments. Abiy quickly made peace with Eritrea, Ethiopia's longtime opponent in brutal border war, and won himself the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. He also set about purging Tigrayans from federal government and reorganized ruling coalition into single political party, which the TPLF refused to join. Abiy cancellation of September election due to pandemic. 
the TPLF was sidelined nationally but still potent in Tigray. The party controls regional government, as many as 250,000 militia fighters. When Abiy canceled last September's election due to pandemic, the TPLF held regional parliamentary election anyway. The federal government retaliated in October by cutting funding on Tigray. War. On November 3rd, TPLF attacked a military base in what they call preemptive strike. The Ethiopian government launched an extensive military offensive the next day. With Abiy's encouragement, Eritrean forces, Eritrean forces invaded Tigray from the north, and militias from Armha ethnic groups poured into from the south. Both held long-standing grudges against TPLF. The Ethiopians blamed the party for their suffering during the war with Ethiopia, while Amharans claim it had annexed some of the most valuable land. Now, let's listen to stories. The reports of atrocities are rampant, including mass rapes, execution, intentional bombardment of civilians, and flagrant looting of hospitals and clinics. All sides, including TPLF, have been accused of war crimes, but Eritreans have been blamed for the worst abuses. In March, Abiy said Eritreans would soon leave, and United Nations report they're still there. Arya Jekyll's story. His four of his six sons were executed while harvesting millet in their field on the town of Abi Adi in West Tigray. Arya said Ethiopian soldiers approached five of his sons with their guns raised. As his soldiers begged for their lives, claiming they're simply farmers, female soldiers ordered them dead. He says, My wife is staying at home always crying. I haven't left home until today. Every night I dream of them. There were six sons. I asked the oldest one to be there. But, thanks God, he refused. Second it, she was raped by soldiers on two separate occasions. The home in Adagam Hamas, and when she tried to flee Mekli with her 12-year-old son. At her second time, she was pulled from minibus and brought to a military base She was tried, where she was tied to a tree and sexually assaulted for over 10 days. The issue doesn't stop in a civilian atrocities. The main issue is that the 90 um, Eritrean and Ethiopian soldiers are blocking distribution of humanitarian aid. Although total of 5.2 million people or 91% of Tigray population need emergency food assistance. Secondly, let's talk about international responses. The United Nations has called for investigation of war crimes, and the United States has cut the economic and security aid to Ethiopia and banned travels to U.S. by officials involved in violence and in blocking humanitarian aid. In May 26, President Joe Biden said, the large-scale human rights abuses taking place in Tigray, including widespread sexual violence, are unacceptable and must end. Second news, climate change achievements. The shakeholders' rebellion in U.S. were matched by unprecedented reversal for oil industry upset in Netherlands, where green campaigners won a court battle in a Hague to force Shell, was the oil giant, oil giant in Netherlands, to cut its carbon emissions by 45% in the next 10 years. Let's first discuss in court in Netherlands. 
the Corning Hage, Netherlands, has royal, royal Dutch shell, must reduce its emissions by 45% by the end of 2030 compared with 2019 levels. In a landmark case brought by Friends of the Earth and over 17,000 co-planets, Shell, which said it would appeal judgment, was the ninth biggest polluter in the world in 1988 through 2015, according to Carbon Majors database. Friends of the Earth Netherlands said in release that is this is the first time in history a judge has held a corporation liable for causing dangerous climate change. The organization lawyer Roger Cox said, This is a turning point in history because a judge has never ordered a large polluting company to comply with Paris agreements. The court ruling will force Shell to slash at least 1 million barrels of oil and gas from fossil fuel production every day at a cost of sev several billion dollars a year, according to oil industry analysts. A Shell spokesperson said, Urgent action is needed on the climate change, which is why we have accelerated our efforts to become net zero emissions energy company by 2050 and step with society with the short term targets to track our progress. Protests against U.S. oil giants ExxonMobil and Sherbin. Exxon failed to defend its board against coup launched by dissident hedge fund activists at Engine Number no. One, which replaced two Exxon board members with its own candidate to help drive oil company towards a greener strategy. Exxon's second target, sexual holder, or owning 6.7% of stake in Exxon. BlackRock is understood to support Engine Number no. One to oust four directors in favor of candidates who all have a background in fossil fuels but leadership experience in green energy innovation. The legal and general, one of the Exxon's top 20 investors, is also said to have backed Engine Number no. One, a pledge to vote against Exxon boss Darren Wood, who survived a boardroom battle. A majority of Sherwin. Sherbin shareholders rebelled against company boards by voting 61% favor of activist proposal from Dutch campaign group followed this to force the group to cut its carbon emission. Many climate activists um, see this as a commemoration of Black Wednesday. Black Wednesday, where September 1992, when the British government were forced to withdraw European exchange rate mechanisms because it couldn't prevent the volume pound from falling below the lower limits mandated by ERM. For many climate campaigners, Black Wednesday marked as a turning point when the climate financial and legal consequences awaiting from oil companies that don't act fastly, fast to take accountability for their role in preventing climate catastrophe. Now, we will discuss briefly about the key findings and facts on Global Gender Gap Report by World Economic Forum. Politics. Across the 156 countries covered by the index, women represent only 26.1%, of 3,500 parliament seats, and just 22.6% of over 3,400 ministers worldwide. In 81 countries, there has never been a woman head of the state. The World Economic Forum estimates that it will take 145.5 years to attain gender gap parity in politics. Economic participation. The 58% of this gap has been closed, and it will take another 267.6 years to close. Why? 
First, the proportion of women among skilled professionals continues to increase, but it's slower pace. And there's a lack of women in leadership position, as I said, with women representing just 27% of managerial positions. Fortunately, gender gaps in education are nearly closed. In education attainment, 95% of this gender gap has been closed globally with 37 country, countries already at parity. It will take another 14.2 years to completely close this gap. Kind of key fact, Iceland is most gender equal country in the world for 12 times. The rank follows by Iceland, Finland, Norway, New Zealand, Sweden, Namibia, Rwanda, Lithuania, Ireland, and Switzerland. Now we will discuss COVID-19 pandemic impact on economic participation by women. The LinkedIn data shows the marked decline of women hiring leadership roles, creating reversal one to two years progress across multiple industries. I suppose data from January 2021 shows the longer shift of paid and unpaid work in context of school closures and limited availability of care services have contributed to overall increase in stress and anxiety around job security and maintaining work-life balance among women with children. The COVID-19 crisis has accelerated automation and digitalization, leading to disruption of female workforce. A larger proportion of female workforce is higher risk at automation, with 26 million jobs potentially at stake in a country where 30 country, 28 OECD member countries, Cyprus and Singapore, where it's high risk as being displaced by technologies. Because of these automation and growing double shift, pandemic is likely to have a scary effect on future economic opportunities for women, risking inferior reemployment prospects and persistent drop in income. There are gender-positive recovery policies and practices. We will discuss about them. Three, first, further investments into care sector and equitable access to care leave for women and women. Secondly, policies and practices need to proactively focusing on overcoming occupational segregation by gender. Third, effective mid-career career reskilling policies combined with managerial practices, which embed sound, unbiased hiring and promotion practices, will pave the way for more gender equal future or work. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a nice day.